0: Had a chance to do some coaching of soccer and basketball teams over the years. Not a terribly good season either time, but, but nonetheless, I've had the chance to, to do that. And, and having my kids involved in sports, I have been to a lot of games. And you, you know what can happen, like in a soccer game? It happen in basketball too. One of the things you know that when you're playing another team, And uh, they're arguing amongst themselves. They bunch. Everybody wants to play each other's position. That's a good thing if you're playing a team like that. You know, that's that's really, really good. Because, you know, it's going to be a problem. And I've seen teams, some of our own teams where my kids go to school. There's been years where everybody plays their position and they do back passing and give and goes. and It's beautiful to watch. And then... We've had teams where this person thinks he's the coach and he's instructing that person and that person's instructing this person and he thinks he can play his position better than that. And it's a nightmare. You know what I'm saying? If you've had any involvement with sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, the one thing about sports is after an hour, you're done and you go home. But isn't marriage a little bit like that? Now, it's a little bit different because... The team's only made up of two. Perhaps it's a little bit closer to figure skating or something like that. And and what can happen sometimes in a marriage is that one person can want to instruct the other person how they're supposed to play their position repeatedly. And it gets very, very frustrating. Or they want to play the position instead of them. And sometimes they bunch. They do all kinds of things, and it's never been God's design. When we come to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul doesn't want want us to bunch, and he doesn't want us to play each other's positions. He wants to make it very, very clear, if marriage is going to work as God has designed it, then two individuals have to play their positions. And I just want to kind of talk through that with you. I mean, you're all aware that marriage gets a bad rap in our day for a variety of reasons. I don't know if you've heard any of these jokes, but this is what, the thing is, it's kind of funny when you hear it, but then when you think of people's experience, it's not so funny. But it's what people say about marriage. Marriage is like a bath not so hot after you've been in it for a while. It's like a violin when the music stops, the strings are still attached. A man may be a fool and not know it, but not if he's married. I, I'm just reading. I just, I'm just reading. You can do whatever you want with that. A husband is someone who stands by you in troubles you would never have had if you hadn't married him in the first place. <laughs> marriage isn't just a word. It's a sentence. Marriage is the most expensive way of discovering your faults. The best marriage is between a deaf husband... And a blind wife. (laughs) Now, this stuff happens because we struggle in our marriages. Isn't that the truth? And so what happens in our day is people want to do all kinds of things. Maybe the answer is to redefine marriage, right? And so people will try to do that. And so now it's not no longer doesn't have to be between a man and a woman. It can be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Or some of even suggesting it should have an end date. It should be a contract that lasts for two years, and then you can reevaluate, and sign up again if you want. There's another option, right? Because what happens is they see problems in marriage, and so they think, let's just kind of redefine and redo everything. Well, that doesn't work on a ball team, does it? Can you imagine figure skaters, where the guy says, "Look, why can't you hold me over your head for once?" Why can't I get flung out there? You get all the beauty and all the attention. I would like a little bit of that. You know. I mean, you, know, you start thinking about it, and what you would do is you'd settle them down and say, no, 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 no. We don't have to do any of those things. Yes, can marriage be a, to- a place of great tension and problems? No question about it. But the answer is not redefining it. The answer is not one person telling the other person how to play their position. The answer is going back and saying, what does God say? Look, he designed marriage, so how does he want us to play our positions? And when we do it for God and his glory, it can change everything. So playing the positions, what are they? And I just want to kind of unpack those with you uh, in our time together. It starts out in verses 22 to 24, talking about the wife. Now, guys, it's something I think is really, really interesting to me. I'll just mention it to you, then we'll work through the passage. Uh, When you come to Ephesians, Tim has been preaching through Ephesians with you. You know, you have this whole movement, don't you? Where Ephesians 1 to 3 is all filled with praise and prayer. God, you're incredible what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And we offer praise back to you for what you've done. That's the first three chapters, right? And then everything shifts in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And now he says, this is how I want you to live in light of that. And he'll talk about the community of faith, us, how we're supposed to live. And coming into chapter 5, he's just said, look, I want you to all be filled with the Spirit. And you know what he's going to do now? Paul's a good preacher. He's going to say, I want to show you what that looks like in your marriages. we can talk about being filled with the Spirit in the abstract, way back here, you know, be filled with the Spirit, teach one another, submitting to one another, all that good stuff, good stuff. Paul says, no, no, let's look at it in our homes. So here, the passage we're looking at today, he's going to talk about about the husband-wife relationship. Tim's going to be talking to you, I don't know, next week, I suppose, about about the the parent-child relationship in chapter 6 then he even talks about the master-slave relationship. In other words, he gets real specific with what it means to be people who walk by faith, by the Spirit, to the glory of God. Do you see? So what's that look like in our marriages? And what he's going to say is you've got to play your positions because God is the one that designed those positions. That's the point. So he first talks to the wife and then to the man. And here's what's interesting to me, guys. I hate to tell you this, men, but it's the truth. When he talks about all these relationships, when he talks about parent-child, he spends more time talking to children than parents. And he spends more time talking to slaves than he does to masters. You know what I'm expecting here then? I'm thinking he's going to spend more time talking to wives than he does to husbands. But he doesn't. The burden falls on us as men. And I think it's really, really important to recognize. Now, ladies, there's something here for you. And it always seems self-serving when I speak on this thing on women and submission, but it is in the text. Tim asked me to speak on it, so here we go. But I do want you to know, the weight of the text falls upon the men. So we want to talk about that. But first of all, in verses 22 to 24, he talks to the women. He's going to give a summary in verse 33. In which he mentions the wife again. So listen to what he says. And, and and honestly, folks, I know this is not popular in our day, is it? I mean we are gone countercultural with some of the things we're going to talk about now. I, I know that. But if God is God, his design can be trusted. So notice what he says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Well, that's quite a bit, isn't it? Does that make him nervous at all when you hear some of those things? Like, really? Really? So let's try to unpack, first of all, what submission entails, and then secondly, find out why in the world we should do it. First of all, what is it that it entails? Let me tell you what it doesn't entail. It doesn't mean the husband is the parent or the employer and the wife is the employee or child. I mean, they're very unique relationships that are set up like this in Scripture, correct? This is a partnership, but it's a partnership in one in which one individual takes the lead. That's true, and so there's submission, but it's it's not this. It's not parents. It's not so. So I, I want to be clear on that. Um, it doesn't mean the wife loses her identity. It doesn't mean the wife loses her voice to some unilateral relationship where the guy is just always barking out orders. If that's what he's doing. He has no concept of what leadership is about. Doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that a wife should set her up, set herself up for and live with damaging abuse. Doesn't mean any of those. Here's a definition of submission that, that I have found to be extremely helpful. It comes out of a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And the author says submission is a wife's disposition. It's very important. It's attitudinal at at its very core. It's her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. In other words, it's it's what she wants to do. She wants him to lead. She wants to support that as much as obedience to Christ will allow. Because there's times when you can't, right? Right? I mean, there's things a husband could tell a wife to do, and the wife would have to say, sorry. There's an authority much bigger than you, correct? But it's an inclination. It's this desire to support. It's a disposition. So let me give you three kind of characteristics right here from the text. First thing I notice is it's spiritual in nature. That's why in verse 22 he says, Wives, subject your, or be, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to what? As to who? As to the Lord, this is what I believe with all my heart because it's what Paul tells us. Think of it this way, ladies. If you're standing here and here stands your husband, when the Bible calls you to submit to him, you are always looking, frankly, beyond him to another, aren't you? Yeah, you're submitting to him, but the submission to him is always an act of spiritual faith to Christ who stands behind it all and who watches over you and protects you, which is why in 1 Peter 3, when you have a woman who's submitting to a man who's lost, who's a real pain in the neck, frankly, the emotion you find running through that passage is fear, which is exactly what I would expect from that woman. And so Peter, so much through that passage, he's trying to help a woman who is in fear. And the way to help her is to look beyond him to her. Because the bottom line is, ladies, none of us men deserve your submission. But all of us need it. The only one that deserves it is God. And that's the point. He stands behind everything else that you do. So it's spiritual in nature. It is ultimately a faith response of worship to the Lord that loves us. I'd say this. It's not here in this text. It's over in Colossians chapter 3. But I'll just, I'll just say this. In Colossians 3, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's very, very important. Jesus can always trump him, right? Now, that should never be an excuse to say, oh, I can manipulate this one. You know, you, you know how quick and easy it is for us to play the game, right? So you got to be very, very careful that you're not using that as a, as a form of manipulation. But it is true. My, your submission to him is always qualified by your following Jesus Christ. That's true. So it's spiritual in nature. It is personal and focus. Women, ladies, aren't you glad it doesn't say here, wives submit yourselves to men? It doesn't say that, does it? My wife has no responsibility to any other man sitting here. So if a man walks by and says, Hey Sherry, I want you to do that. I think we, Sherry would smile at you and say, thank you, and, and you know, she's so nice. But she doesn't have to do a thing, the guy says. And neither does any other woman here with me, right? Because this text says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. It is a personal thing. It's not comprehensive. It's one-on-one, and that's very, very particular. It's just really important. I mean, that's, that's what the text says. But it is pervasive when you read there in verse... 24, wives ought to to be in submission to their husbands in everything. With all the qualifications, marriage is a lot like figure skating, isn't it? There is both strength and beauty. There is both individuality and unity, isn't there? There is both courage and trust. You see, they're working in tandem together. And when they work in tandem, what you see is a beauty and a wonder that only God can do between two individuals. See, that, that, that's, that's God's design. So it's pervasive. Now, why do it? Let me just give you two quick reasons, and then we'll move on to the guys. Why is it so important? First of all, it, submission is part of God's blueprint for the family, which is what he says here in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Genesis, when God created the man and the woman, they were created, I mean, the, the, what's, I don't, I can't, I'll try to do it here. It probably won't work very well. Think of two triangles. I mean, this is, I don't know how to do this with my hands exactly, but I will try. Okay? Think of two triangles. That's a triangle. Can you kind of make that? okay? And that's a triangle. Okay, Think about these two triangles overlaying each other like this. Is this making any sense? OK, good, good, good. When you think of the husband-wife relationship, what happens when you put two triangles together is the overarching focus of what you find there is it's total mutuality. They're doing all things together because they're friends, they're partners. That's what they do. But you'll notice something else. If I, if I could lay these things out, the tips of the triangles are still, there's still a unique male triangle and a female triangle. Which means there's some things Sherry sure, can do in my home that I can't ever do. And that I can do that Sherry can't do. But the one is pointing upward and the other one is pointing downward which means one person is committed to leadership and the other person is committed to submission. I mean, that was God's design from the very, very beginning. And what happened is when you begin to fracture that, you find some guys who then take leadership and think that that means tyranny. And it was never God's design from the beginning. And you find women who get so frustrated over that, you think about the whole... Impulse behind things like the feminist movement, and it's like we got to do something about this Let's do a role reversal. Let's make it equal. Let's do all kinds of things and and all those approaches Are a violation of the model from the very beginning if we're not very very careful So in this text Why should a woman submit? If God is the creator God who's redeemed us and it is his design, what greater reason do we need? Right? That's what he's designed from the beginning. There's a second reason that strikes me as kind of interesting. Um, he talks about the relationship between Christ and the church, and we're going to see this even more clearly with the husband and the wife. Submission is a picture of a greater reality of Christ and his church. Um, when I used to read Ephesians 5 years ago, this is, what I, this is how I kind of read it. I kind of read it like um, Paul wanted to talk about husband-wife relationship and bummer, being any good preacher, you kind of like need a good illustration. So he's like, wait, you know, kind of be like, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of like Christ in the church. Yeah, it kind of works. I think that's kind of how I thought growing up. and I don't know where I picked that up, but that's kind of what I assumed. That's not what's going on in Ephesians 5, folks. You read all the way through the book of Ephesians, and you know what just takes center stage again and again? Christ and His church, right? And so when He comes to this passage and begins talking about Christ who lovingly leads and a church which follows within trust, He then comes and talks about a husband who leads in a loving way, and a wife who submits. And what he he argues is, look, what we're doing on this plane right here is an object lesson of this greater reality. Do you realize that with your own marriage? You're not just living out God's design. You are doing that. You are doing that. You're also serving as a kind of an object lesson of something that's bigger than any of us. How do people get just a, a tiny glimpse of the glories of Christ and his relationship with his people? Paul says, by looking at marriages. Wow. That, that's weighty, folks. That is weighty. And ladies, there's a lot we could say about submission because I know there's what about this, what about this. And Paul and Peter recognize those things and talk about them elsewhere. In this passage, he's just setting forth for us, here's the ideal that we should be moving toward. Recognizing all of the sinfulness and problems, he talks about that stuff elsewhere. But here's the ideal that he wants us to move toward. And when we begin moving toward that ideal, we begin to express to others, not only that God is wise in designing marriage, but that marriage itself points to something beyond it. It's powerful stuff. Wives. Choose to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, he picks up here in verse 25. Husbands, have warm, gooey feelings towards your wives. Did you have that? I mean, like, is that in your text? Husbands, Wait till you feel romantically inclined to her to do nice things for her. I mean, honestly, does any translation go that way? Husbands, love your wives. Over in Colossians chapter 3, when Paul talks about this, it's a real short passage. He says, husbands, don't be embittered against your wives. Rather, love them. Now, all you have to do is think for a minute about what Paul's doing there, right? Paul is saying this woman who you're called to love and to lead can be a bugger sometimes. As we can be, right? And you can make a choice at that point. (laughs) You can make a choice at that particular point. You know what I'm going to do? If she's not giving me what I want, I don't give her what she wants. You can do that. It's unchristian. It's self-centered. It's all true. Or as an act of love following your blessed Lord, you can say, I will bless her in the name of Christ regardless of what she does. It is a commitment to Christ extended to her regardless of what she does. Look at what he says in this passage. Look at the great model for, for this. I mean, it's just it's it's off the charts. So it starts out with sacrificial love that follows the example of Jesus Christ here in 2527. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, Doug, what's that mean? Okay, let me just play it straight with you. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. You know what he says. Husbands, don't think tit for tat. Forget it. Think Christ. Which means love, is costly. Jesus loved the church and Jesus gave himself for the church. And we we don't even understand the depths of the cross. But here's one thing I know. Will I ever love Sherry as much as Christ has loved us? Will I? No. So he's setting before me this role model that I won't ever attain to, but it's something always out there in front of me. So I go home this afternoon and Sherry says something that troubles me. I think he maybe, well, she's getting naggy here or she's doing this or doing that. Whatever, whatever you think, whatever you think. I have two options. I can be Jesus to her. Or I can just be Doug. I mean, you really, isn't that it? This passage is calling me to move back toward her and at personal cost to give. So, this kind of love is always costly, it is always purposeful. This is really important, guys. Sometimes we get the idea that marriage is oh, good, here she is, and she's supporting me and she's helping me, all of which is true, all of which is true. But it's really easy for it kind of to be me focused. And what you find in this passage is Christ so gives to the church. Why? You know what he did for us as believers? He positionally made us holy, didn't he? And he is working in our lives through his spirit in accordance with his word from the inside out from our hearts and he's making us more like Jesus as we walk through life. Not perfectly, we got all kinds of problems. We are all sinners to the day we die. Fair enough. But God's doing something. And one day in glory, we will appear... Perfect. And it's all the work of Christ to that one end. What does it mean for me and men? What does it mean for you to so invest in your life that God uses you to show forth your wife's radiance? Everything that he has for her. And he says, you get to be the facilitator. I'm the one that does it. But you get to be the one through whom I can help her to grow spiritually and to blossom and to show forth her radiance. Wow. That kind of changes it a little bit, doesn't it? I thought this was for me. Leadership is never about us. Leadership is something that we assume for God. We take on. And we serve others, we sacrifice for others, so that they might become everything God wants them to be. That's not easy, guys, is it? And none of us will do it perfectly. But at the end of the day, this marriage thing is all about Jesus and living out his kind of costly, purposeful love in relationship to our wives. Not easy. So, sacrificially love by following the example of Christ. He goes on to say, personally love by realizing your oneness with your mate. Look at verse 28 and following. This, this is really, and I have to tell you, I was, I was wrestling with this um, the last couple of days because um, I've I I preached through this passage before, but I was going back and just trying to go through it again. And it, just, it really struck me that, that Paul gets lost in this passage. Um, He's talking about one thing, he goes to another thing, kind of comes back. So so, so watch this. And, And he says some amazing things. Look at verse 28. Husbands, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. But guys, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is there any other relationship in this world that when you love that person, you're loving yourself? Is there any other relationship that's ever described like that anywhere in the New Testament, Old Testament, anywhere else? The answer is no. I mean, we are to love our neighbor. And when we love our neighbor, we're loving our neighbor. This is the one relationship in the whole earth, humanly speaking, that when I love that person, I am loving who? Myself. What? Like, Paul, what are you you talking about? Paul's going to go on to say, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. And and he's basically going to say two things. He's going to say, look, um, once again, he's going to go back and he's going to quote Genesis 2. In Genesis chapter 2, God said, after he brought man, Adam and Eve together, remember, and he, he took the woman out of the rib of the man and, 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 and Adam said, this is now bone of my f- bone and flesh of my flesh, that whole beautiful passage there. It turns right around then and, then, and he says, therefore, here's Moses' application to everybody. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife like superglue, and the two shall become what? One flesh. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you're here today with your mate, That person sitting next to you, from God's perspective, relationally is part of you. In such a way, men, when you love her, you're actually loving yourself. it's, it's, It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, no other relationship on earth is like that. Because... It is considered one, so when you love her, you love yourself, because you're so bound up together. Man, Paul. So we should be like, I should be doing this personally, because like, from Genesis's perspective, which he quotes in verse 31, we're this. Yeah, that's exactly right. Wow, that's a lot. He gives us another reason. Oh, and th- th- then he talks about this. He talks about the ramifications of it. Look at what he says. No one ever hated his own flesh, verse 29, but rather he feeds it and he takes care of it. Just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. Who so he says this. I can't tell you how many times um, I've had a man and a woman in my office and we've been talking about the relationship. And... Um, the guy will tell me, hey, Doug, I'm just, I'm not a real relational guy, person. You know, I mean, I, I care for my wife, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not real expressive. I, you know, I, I, I don't know how to be tender. Okay. Do you like sports? Oh, I love sports. Did you ever yell at the TV? <laughs> All the time. Oh, so you can get emotional. Well, well yeah, it's, it's sports. Do you like to eat? Oh, I love to eat. Like, how do you feel when you eat? Oh, I mean, I just, I'm so famished. I just, I, I, I'm just so starved. That I can think I want to eat. Uh-huh, that's good. Good. How about when you get sick? Well, I like my wife to take care of me. You like to be babied a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. It's kind of nice, actually. Food in bed, stuff like that. Okay. So, you know all those experiences, don't you, personally? That's what Paul says. Look, guys, you know how hungry you get. You know how when you get sick, you just want to shut down and people to wait on you. That's what you need to do with your wife. She's not hungry the same way you are. But she's got needs. She's got issues. And what you should be back, the same way you know how to kind of take care of yourself and get emotional about certain things and eat when you're hungry and take care of all that stuff. Because you're one, do it for her. Why? Well, I, I, I don't know what she's hungry for. Hey, ask her. Well, I don't know what she wants me to take. Hey, ask her. <laughs> she'll tell you. Boy, will she tell you. I mean, she'll tell you, you know. And you can't do it all. You say, honey, let's just like work on one at a time for a period of months, and then we'll move on to another one. Fair enough. I mean, however, you want to kind of work that whole thing out. But, but, but honestly, this idea that I don't know how to, we do know how to, because we know how to take care of moi, don't we? And God says, you're this. This is what you are. So what you like done for yourself, you know that dynamic. Find out what she likes and love her that way. Personalize it, because you're one flesh. And Again, remember how I said Paul kind of gets lost He gets caught here. Look at what he he does here. In verse 31, he quotes from Genesis 2. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, two shall become one plus. Verse 32. This mystery is great. What mystery? Well, he tells us. Uh, But I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Uh, Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his wife even as himself. See what happens with him? Paul says, okay. Now, I'm talking about this husband-wife relationship. You're one flesh. Hey, come on, guys. You know how to love yourself, love her the same way. One flesh. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Um, and you know what? It is like Christ in the church. Wow, what a cool mystery. Oh, Okay, back here again. Isn't that what he does? And again, and again, his point is this. Marriage should never be thought of as merely at one Plain in one level it is it is men that love their wives like christ it is women that submit and it is living out god's design that is one level it's wonderful but there's always another level there's always christ in the church and so paul as he's talking about this keeps getting caught up here and then comes back down here and says remember this is to show this is the object lesson of that and if you think about it like that, then all of a sudden you realize is our marriages are much bigger than us. Now, are they about us? Sure. But they're much bigger than us too. Because God is saying, I will use you at this level to give people a glimpse of this level. It is a form of evangelism. Do you realize that? Truly really quite powerful. So he says men love. Now, guys like like to have a list, so I'll give you a list. Actually, I had a list some here for women too. So should I go back and read a couple lists for the women, a couple things for the women, then I'll read them for the men, then I'll round it up and tie it up because I know my time's up. So let me, let me let me read this: ways in which a woman can submit, and I'll just give you five or six. She can do it by trying to receive her husband's love, care, and provision. Ladies, if he's trying, cut him a break. I know we could do it better, but it's not easy to lead. To provide encouragement, support, and input to her husband's initiatives to give vision and direction to the family. So if he says, look, I thought we might pray tomorrow at supper after, after we're done. Oh, honey, that's not enough. We should be doing a little bit of no, 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 forget it. Just say, oh, that'd be great, honey. You took initiative? Man, I'm with you. Yeah, just rejoice in incremental steps. Resist the temptation to take control. Resist the impulse to undermine or complain about the leadership that your husband provides and seek to align yourself, or to, to align her spending habits with the priorities she agreed upon with her husband for the vision and direction of the household. And you know, you know how that can be a real sticking point sometimes. You know where the guy says, honey, I thought we agreed about this. I know, but it was such a good deal. <laughs> <sighs> Would you at least check with me next time before you do that? Just some things to get you thinking. It is hard to lead, ladies. And what you, do, what you do can very easily subvert that leadership. You want to do everything you can to encourage it. Men, what's it mean to love? It means to grow in a willingness to deny yourself, to ensure your wife's well-being and care. It means to care for her in a compassionate and loving way when she is sick. It means to be willing to lovingly care for your wife as long as she would need it, if she were to become disabled or terminally ill and could could provide nothing to you in return. I tell you, I have known men in my life that have given themselves to their wife for a lengthy period of sickness until she died. And I tell myself, that's what this passage is all about. It's very, very important. Uh, to resist the impulse to spend money on things that are outside the priorities that the two have established for the household, so he comes back and he just bought five new guns, but man, are rifles, but man, are they a good, good deal for hunting? She goes, honey, that's thirty-five hundred dollars. Yeah, but babe, they were on sale, Cabela's. <laughs> To be vigilant to guard against tones and language that could wound your wife. To spend regular quality time with your wife and consistently make her feel precious to you. To take every precaution not to demean your wife by looking at other women in inappropriate ways or desiring those other women in your heart. Because your wife will know. To deny yourself of the desire to relax when your wife needs to talk or engage in an activity. Now look, guys, I know there's times when you need a breather. We all do. But sacrifice doesn't mean anything if it doesn't mean flipping off the ball game to help your wife. Does it? This is not easy stuff. It's stuff that God incrementally does in our hearts through his spirit because we seek to follow Jesus. Do not look for people ever to leap in the relationship with you, look for incremental growth, rejoice in it, encourage it as you go together. Next time you watch some figure skaters, and it's isn't it beautiful? I mean, that guy takes her and just at the right time in strength, he kind of knows just how to throw her. I mean, he, you know, but now he's you know, going to release it just right, right? He just, you know, she, and everybody's nobody gets done watching this thing and says, boy, that guy, man, he is really, he's good looking. No, do they? They get done saying, say, man, look at her. She's radiant. Really, look at her spin. That's great. And she has to trust when he's doing that to say, man, I hope this guy knows what he's doing. Right? Right? Isn't that true? And it's not her job to say, you know, Henry, how about if I hold you above my head this time? No, no, no. He'll do that. Strength and beauty. You see? Initiative and trust. And when we live that way, God does something in our marriages that only he can do. It's not my job to tell Sherry to submit. It's not my job my job to love and lead her regardless. It's not her job to tell me to lead, to love her more. Oh, she may express it. It's her job to submit. Because behind me is Jesus Christ. See, in this whole passage is Jesus. This passage goes totally counter to its culture. Did you know that? In the Roman world, you will find few times when men are told to love their wives. There's a couple, not much in there. The Greco-Roman literature, Jewish literature, a small spattering. It's mostly this kind of stoic kind of... And Paul busts right through that and says, no, at the end of the day, the man is to be a servant leader. He just busts right through all that stuff. This goes countercultural to the first century. And I would argue it goes countercultural to our day. But it's when we live out God's design to reflect his glory between Christ and the church, that God does something in our lives and in the lives of others that only he can do. Well, you see, your marriages are between you, but they never end there. It's always bigger. Let's pray.